Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Today on the podcast, I have former JAG and current judge, the Honorable J. Lee Marsh. Lee is the circuit judge of the Second Judicial Circuit in Tallahassee, Florida. So, Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, good to good to be talking with you and anybody that uh, might be listening. I'm in the judges' chambers right now, at least virtually, and it's the first time I've been in the judges' chambers since I think I was a prosecutor way back in 2000. And well, excuse me, way back in 1995, I don't think there was ever occasion where I was called into the judges' chambers in, in Guantanamo. So it's been a long time since I've been in chambers one way or the other. Because I'm on the civil bench right now as my division, we actually have a lot of hearings right here in chambers. It's not as bad as being uh, called back to chambers, so to speak. And that's for sure. That is That is definitely for sure. So Lee, you know, I'm looking at your profile right now. What I didn't check before I started talking to you, where'd you go to school, uh, undergrad? So undergraduate, I went to the, the Naval Academy and uh, graduated uh, there and then uh, headed to the submarine force for five years. was not the typical, I guess, lawyer pre-law path. I, I was a mechanical engineer. Well, it's funny you should mention that because the, there was a guy in my class way back in 1994 who had a similar path. His name was Bob Johnson. Bob was an academy grad submarine officer, went through LEP, and then came in. And I think like him, like you rather, he did 20 years and punched out shortly after making 06. So kind of interesting uh, similarity of the, the career path there. Yeah, I, I tell you, it was one of those things. I actually had thought about the law when I was at the Naval Academy. One of the things we had to do is take a naval law class taught by a Navy judge advocate. And, you know, I, I really thought it, it sounded interesting. And some of you may know him. It was Tom Copenhaver. And, you know, he was then Lieutenant Copenhaver. And I went up to him after class one day and said, hey, this JAG thing's neat. How do you get to do that? You know, he gave me some advice and talked to me about the law education program and gave me the instructions, said, read over it. Now put it away and don't look at it again until you've gone out and qualified on, on your submarine. I heeded his advice, and once I got qualified, I pulled that instruction back out. So from mechanical engineer to the bench, take us through your Navy journey, and then let's talk about your career progression out of the Navy. I saw you had an intermediate stop before the bench, so take us through your Navy career, sort of you know, what your interest was, what your desire to serve as a lawyer, you kind of already indicated it, and how you ended up where you are now. Well, I actually started out as part of the Top Gun generation. I wanted to be a pilot, but you can't see it right now, but I've got contacts in. And so way back then, you couldn't get surgeries or any of that. You had to have 2020 uncorrected vision. And so that quickly went away my freshman or plebe year. And 
So then I got drawn into submarines. I, I like the camaraderie of the group. And, and, and I think that carries through for my whole career, the camaraderie of the professionals I worked with. But went out and did that for five years, but realized that wasn't what I wanted to do forever. I uh, really liked the, I think the logic, the investigation, the critical thinking of what I'd seen with you know, the law community. In fact, I went out, uh, I was in Bangor, Washington at the time, and I went to the local Milso and talked to the CO there, a guy by the name of Bruce McDonald. And uh, then Captain McDonald let me shadow one of his Jags for a week uh, that I was on my R&R from the submarine, and I shadowed a Jag for a week and just fell in love with it. I had decided I was either going to get out and and uh, go to law school, or I was going to, you know, try for the the law education program. And and because of the timing, as most people know, you got to let the the Navy know nine to twelve months in advance, or at least in the subforce, they made you do that. I know the JAG Corps had, has been fairly uh, nice or forgiving to to some judge advocates to shorten that period of time, but the subforce required that. Well, the let board met six months before I had to start law school. So I actually resigned my commission and applied to LEP at the same time and let both of them know about that. You know, if I was selected, I intended to withdraw my my uh, resignation. And that, that that's what happened. So I got told while underway, I got selected and headed off to law school uh, the, the following fall. And while I was there, I realized I just loved the, the trial aspect of things. And, and that's what I did my entire JAG career, you know, went to Great Lakes and did legal assistance. You know, that was the Nilso era where you did legal assistance and defense at the same time. And when I showed up in Great Lakes at the command, I, I was the, even though I was the newest lawyer, I was the second highest ranking guy there, more time. That actually helped me later. So, you know, quickly I was put in a leadership role, even though I was learning from the, the other attorneys assigned there. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, resigning your commission, did you find it that it was difficult to get out of your community? Or was it just a matter of, hey, one way or the other, I'm done with subs and I'm going to force the issue? Well, a little bit of both. At the lower levels within the command, once I was getting out, I was kind of persona non grata. I felt at least it was a little bit of a, oh, you, you don't like the subs, so we're done with you. Whereas for me, I realized subs wasn't for me, but I really, the Navy was still for me. And luckily, I had a uh, a submarine group commander, the rear admiral, who, who was supportive. And, and he really took an active role. He said, hey, you know, he was meeting with every junior officer getting off the subs and, and, and getting out. And when he met with me, he said, hey, I see you want to stay in the Navy, but leave the submarine force. What can I do to help? What what immense leadership that was. And he said, Let, you know, can I endorse your package? And I said, I'd be honored, Admiral. And he picked up the phone right there in his office and called my captain and said, send Lieutenant Marsh's law package over to my office and I'm going to endorse it. And, and so at that point, I was much more supported by the command, I would say. And and so, yeah, it was it was a little bit of both. That helped. That helped a lot. And, and where did you go to law school? I went to the University of Florida. So with the left, the interesting thing is you had to apply to somewhere near your local duty station. So I applied to the University of Washington. Uh, I had to apply somewhere I could get in-state tuition, which was the University of Florida. And then you could apply anywhere else. And I applied to a couple other schools and got into some some great schools. But 
for me, I knew I ultimately wanted to practice law in Florida. And I knew the network of being a part of the Gator Nation would serve me a lot better than being, say, a Tar Heel. So, you know, for me, that that was the make or break. So I decided to go to go to Gainesville and become a Gator. So follow up question to you, you know, nukes have a reputation of being by the book uh, of having, you know, a very detailed checklist because of what you deal with, with, you know, a nuclear reactor. Did you find that culture, that background was very conducive to law school and then in the, in your JAG service? I did. And I still do. I Ironically, I'm in civil division now because my lowest class in law school, not that it was bad, but my lowest was torts because it was all this case-based stuff. Whereas I'm a code-based guy, you know, statutes, rules of civil procedure, rules of criminal procedure, rules of evidence. Those have always really kind of fit my mindset. And I think it is kind of from, you know, is it I fit into the nuke mold or, or the nuke mold taught me that? I don't know. I thought it's always worked well with my legal service in in critically thinking and you know process oriented code based analysis. To get back to your progression, so you, you're up in Groton, you were at SJ at Subgroup Two, and then you were at some point maybe I, I mixed up here at Chicago. You were you were high ranking. So take us well, pick us up where I where I interrupted you. Yeah, so in Great Lakes, again, first JAG tour, I was the assistant officer in charge there of the NILSO, which was an interesting, uh, again, an interesting model. But I, I had done the kind of the leadership side. I had already had eight years in at that point uh, and was a fairly senior lieutenant. So then I headed to submarine group two back to, to, to serve those with whom I previously served. I you know, was the SJA to the admiral there and, and loved that tour. But was given the opportunity, they needed some leadership at the NILSO there in Groton. So I split toured it. I did a two and two and, and was the officer in charge there in Groton of the, of the NILSO. And so we owned, at that point, we owned four different offices. We had Brunswick, Maine, Earl, New Jersey, Newport, Rhode Island, and Groton, Connecticut. And so I managed all four of those offices and all all the, the the people there while at the same time doing a lot of uh, defense work and of the high profile cases and high profile clients. Yeah. You know, I forget that Groton owned Newport and Brunswick and Earl places that yeah, it's kind of always, always struck me kind of funny. The Naval Justice School is in Newport, but yet the, uh, the, the Rilso there became, or the Nilso, whatever you want to call it, they became detachments of Groton in the big consolidation move. So it's it kind of ironic, I thought. So you did that, and then you came down here to Sin City in Washington, D.C. That's right. I, I, I finally, uh, you know, broke away, I guess, from the outskirts of the JAG Corps and, and, and went closer to the flagpole, and that's about as close as you can get. And I was at the Trial Council Assistance Program uh, in D.C. where, you know, I had to shift mindsets. I had done, you know, an SJ thing, but mainly the defense side and, you know, learned very quickly how to be a prosecutor from the likes of uh, Robert Crow and Aaron Rue and great civilian Teresa Scalzo and turn the focus to helping the, the Navy and the prosecutors throughout the world prosecute, you know, alcohol facilitated sexual assaults and proper doll bear challenges, Kumo tire, survive those and, 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 and use those and prosecuted high high profile Naval Academy sexual assault cases, things like that. So it, it was a really great 
great, uh, great tour there in D.C. So I'll note that the Trial Counsel Assistance Program, at this point, you took that job about four and a half years, over four and a half years before you ultimately were going to retire from the service. And you left it just under three years from the time that you retired. At this point, had you started thinking about retiring at the 20-year mark? Absolutely. Uh, I was actually, and I I heard from one of your other podcasts, uh, one of the other guests talking about how they wanted to do litigation, litigation. And so they, you know, they, they left early in their career. Well, for me, you know, when I did left, that put me out to 14 years before I could get out. And, you know, I had the decision to make, do you get out at 14 or do you put in the six more and get, get your retirement? And, and that's, I went the second option. Uh, but I will say, you know, for a lot of reasons, especially I did not do an IA as a JAG. Um, I had stayed in the courtroom. Uh, in some ways, I think that hurt me. I, I was, I was fozzed. I was, I was a terminal 04. But in hindsight, I I can't think of a better blessing for me. It kept me in the courtroom. It kept me leading litigators. I mean, the JAG Corps had a lot of great opportunities for a lot of people in operational law and advising commanders. And, you know, that's where some people shine. And that, that wasn't me. I was a litigator, despite my warfare background. And so it kept me in the courtroom. It kept me managing boots on the ground litigators. And, and so... You know, yeah, I had thought about it because I knew 20 was likely it. Now, I, I jokingly, my my wife and I joke uh, with others, we tell them, you know, she wasn't in, but she said, it didn't matter. Uh, I was going to retire at 20. You know, you can stay in as long as you like. So I, I pretty much knew I was getting out at 20 anyway. It, it, it got difficult with family and moving kids yeah. around. And, and And I knew the other thing is at some point, it would pull me out of the courtroom completely. And I, I wanted to stay in the courtroom. For your last job, did you target just Florida jobs or to get back into where you were licensed or did you, did you cast a wider net? No, I absolutely targeted Florida. I, you know, I was looking what, what, what's available in, in Pensacola or, or Jacksonville. And luckily there was an OIC job in Mayport, Florida, and so I was able to do the last three years from the state of Florida close enough to we, we thought we would probably be retiring in Tallahassee. And and so it was a chance to at least get back closer. And I knew at the time, it, you know, it came for job interviews and the like. It would be better to be three hours away than, you know, three hours by plane or or or, or what have you. So take us through now trying to get that first job post Navy. I mean, were you reaching out through your uh, Florida Gator network? When did you start really honing in on what you wanted to do? And was that job a matter of what you wanted to do? Or was, hey, this is the best I can do right now before I move on to other things that I want? Yeah, so I I started maybe about a year out, just starting to put the feelers out, uh, reaching out to people I knew from home, you know, people I knew from nursery school and and middle school and high school. And I had friends who were attorneys and I said, hey, can you keep an ear out, see if you know anybody that's looking to hire. And I also reached out, there was a retired judge advocate general from the Navy, Admiral Rick Grant, that was living in Tallahassee. And I I reached out to Admiral Grant and came to town and uh, we went out to breakfast together and, and talked and he is such a mentor. I mean, he talked to me about people I can talk to. He introduced me to some people, but also about 
you know, resumes and how to, you know, gear those resumes towards the jobs I was looking at. And, uh, you know, because you shouldn't have a resume that one size fits all. I mean, it's as a judge advocate, especially it's, yeah, you're a generalist, but those jobs are not looking for a generalist. And so you want to target what you say in your resume to that job that you're applying for. So I started that about a year out, but really didn't hit it full force until three to six months out. Because frankly, when people are ready to hire, they're ready to hire and they want you to go right away. Now, some of those that I didn't realize at the time are not that way is like the U.S. Attorney's Office. I had applied for a, <laughs> an opening there. And wow, was that a slow process? And frankly, they didn't really even get started on that until after I was on terminal leave and starting my new job. But I will say, and and I've heard this from retirees and I lived it, that first one, it was scary and it was uh, frustrating. It was pretty dry for a while. I got no bites, no bites. And I was casting a wide net, but I was casting it in Tallahassee. There's not a big military network there. There was some, but not huge. You know, I was getting nothing, nothing, nothing. And then lo and behold, when I'm having my farewell lunch with my command, I actually got a call right in the middle of that. And so I had to, I had to step out, take the call, and I set up an interview for the job that I ultimately uh, got. So that job was with uh, the Florida Office of the Attorney General, uh, Chief of Corrections Litigation, which I imagine Florida and corrections, you probably had no short of work, but take us through that process, the the interview and when you knew this was going to be the job that you were you were going to get, and then tell us about the job. I got the call to, to go to this interview, so of course I did as much research as I could about it before the interview, and when I went in, I was meeting with the division director, and what he was looking for was a leader, a manager, somebody that could, I had 15 attorneys and 13 paralegal and support staff that worked directly for me. I was their bureau chief. And what he was looking for was somebody with litigation experience, but that didn't need to be the top line litigator. He needed somebody that could manage all those people and provide guidance in the litigation setting, both in state and federal court. Well, that was it. That's what I had been doing, right? For 20 years, I had been doing leadership. I had been doing, you know, in the submarine force, managing a division in the JAG Corps. I had been an assistant officer in charge. Twice I had been an officer in charge of in Groton. I had four offices. I had budgets. I had those sorts of things. And so that's what he was looking for. Even though I hadn't done civil litigation in my career, he knew I could get up to speed with that but he wanted somebody that could manage people. And so some of it's luck, some of it's fate, but that was the job, at least initially, that I was meant to do. And you did that for two years. What were some of the cases? I mean, you've you've listed them. They're in your LinkedIn. Federal mandamus, Havis, tort, and civil rights cases. I, I assume your office is the one that also handled, for example, death penalty stays and those sorts of things. The the death penalty stuff, there was a capital litigation unit at the attorney general's office, but Florida, ha- being the third most populous state in the country, was also the third most populous department of corrections. So, you know, prison litigation could be anything from 
prisoner pro se complaints litigation to, you know, the ACLU versus the, you know, Florida Department of Corrections. I mean, we had, we had multi-million dollar just attorney's fees. We had some consent judgments that we, we had monitoring in our prisons and we had to do the litigation on the attorney's fees for those folks. And I did do some death penalty stuff in that uh, I represented the departments when other states, they were wanting records on our drugs that we used in in our death penalty because they were litigating the issue out in the state of Arizona. We did a full myriad of, of cases. If it dealt with the Department of Corrections, it was most likely coming to my division. Now you're on the bench. So you spent two years at Corrections doing litigation. How did you end up on the bench? Well, again, it's that network. A friend of mine from, and this was, this was a friend of mine growing up. He said, Hey, have you ever thought about being a judge? And I, I, I had, frankly, I said, yes, I have. I, you know, my thought was coming back to the state, uh, working for a number of years and then maybe trying to run for office. And as it turned out, uh, in, in Florida, if there's a vacancy, the governor will appoint for the vacancy. And then on the, at least on the trial courts, then you will run for office after that. And, and there was a vacancy and, and I was, uh, I applied and, and was ultimately appointed by the governor to this position. But uh, again, a lot of that had to do with that, that network. I can't, uh, I can't tell you how important just relationships with people, you know, some people put a negative connotation on network. I, I would say the exact opposite. I, if you want to call it, if you don't like the word network, call it building relationships with people, true relationships. And, and for me, this was a, a an attorney, a local attorney that I knew growing up, and, and and he knew a lot about the process, and he 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 helped me in that process. And anyone who takes the Florida bar, which I can speak from experience, gets some background on the uh, on how judges are appointed and and disciplined, those kind of things. But I got to ask you: so you've been on the bench since April two thousand eighteen. Were you appointed by the governor, who is a former Navy JAG? No, I was not. I was appointed by the governor before that. That was a prior Navy enlisted radio man. But I will tell you, and so that, you know, it was interesting. At least that governor personally called me. He, that was what he did when he appointed a judge and he appointed me. And But I'll tell you, when I interviewed with the Judicial Nominating Commission, one of the things that they brought up was, and I agree, how much a judge advocate's career really helps somebody in becoming a judge. People understand the service commitment. We are public officers that serve. But the other thing is, as a JAG, being at the NILSO, I dealt with landlord-tenant disputes. I dealt with family law. I dealt with consumer law issues. I dealt with criminal defense. Then, you know, the other, later I dealt with prosecution. I dealt with agencies and Freedom of Information Act uh, requests and agency issues. And so it gives you a broad base because I will tell you, as a judge, I'm a generalist. You know, as a lawyer, lawyers generally aren't generalists, but judges, at least the trial level in Florida, are generalists and, you know, have to be able to pick up any different area of the law and learn it, be able to ask uh, intelligent questions. Yeah, that also, that always fascinated me in the sense that Sitting on the bench, you know, you may have a landlord tenant uh, case walk in your door one day. You may have a contract dispute. And so take us through sort of how do you prepare for these cases? So you get a case on subject X and it's something that you've never dealt with. How, how do you how do you get up to speed on those? 
Well, I'll tell you first and foremost, it's by reading the briefs from the lawyers. For every attorney out there, understand that judges read what you submit. And it, it's the attorney's job to educate the judge. And, and so, uh, you know, that's that initial education. And then I go out and I read the cases myself or the statutes or, or what have you. But uh, a lot of prep time outside of hearing time. So, you know, an attorney may have a 15 minute, a 30 minute hour long hearing. I may have prepped for three or four hours before that hearing. And, and so it's reading what the parties have submitted and then, you know, pulling the cases, looking at those cases, pulling the statute, pulling some cases that construe the statute. So, um, and it's, it's preparation, 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 nothing different than the lawyers do. It's getting in the rule books and reading what do the rules actually say about this issue. Sounds like a nuke. So you went to the bench before the pandemic. You're on the bench during the pandemic and you are still on the bench after the pandemic. How has your practice as a judge changed, if any? A lot more, you know, especially in civil criminal. Um, we just we made do. We did the best we could, but we got back live as soon as possible. Um, I was on the felony division for two, two and a half years. But in civil, I mean, most of my hearings are by Zoom and, uh, you know, it, it makes it more efficient for the lawyers. But I, it's a big caution. I'm having a lot of lawyers and I'm encouraging it to come back and doing things in person uh, where needed. You know, short little 10 minute hearings, Zoom is fine. But when it's longer, it's more contentious, evidentiary issues, et cetera. We, I like to do it in person because. I think we're losing out a little bit that sitting around in the same room, the attorneys sitting out in the waiting room, waiting to come into chambers, that time when we are not a video game, we're not a computer screen, we're, we're, we're live humans that uh, interact and uh, shake hands and, you know, see each other and understand that we have families, we have other things in our lives. And I think that's been the hardest. Uh, and I think we're slowly clawing back some of that. So Lee, for anyone following your footsteps that are interested in a, in a judge, besides trying to get in those billets that put them in a litigation atmosphere and a litigation billet, what other recommendations do you have? And as you answer that, you know, there's a big discussion ongoing. It was probably going on while you were in the service about the decline in military justice cases. And so how would you encourage judge advocates who are coming behind you, if they're at all interested in litigation or becoming a judge, if you have any tidbits on what they should be pursuing? Well, if they want to ultimately be a judge in the in the civilian world is, is developing those networks, getting into local bar associations and, and, and being involved and, you know, ends of court groups legal aid work or, or what have you getting you know tapped into the local community uh, but but for judge advocates ultimately you have to do what you're passionate about you know I, I I don't regret for a moment the choices I made in my career yes I stalled out at 04 but I'm I retired and, and ultimately it led me to where I I, uh, I got. So I was appointed to office and then I had to run subsequently and I didn't draw opposition. But I will tell you, being a prior military member, whether you served your four year commitment or you served, you know, 30 years, that still means something in our in the greater 
uh, community when you're running for office or what have you. But I would just tell those folks, Judge Advocate, if you want to be a, a judge, you want to be a trial attorney, do that. There are career paths, and you know I've seen friends. Two of them I served with are now rear admirals, uh, active duty, and they they are litigation types, you know, and, and so good for them. They did some of those other operational jobs, but they stayed active with their litigation career. You, you just got to find what you're passionate about and do it. it it'll work out in the end. And I think some of that's my faith as well, that I, I, I have faith and things work out for a reason. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Lee. And, and you know, there's trade-offs. You know, I, I, I was a twice-fazed 05. You think it's the end of the world. You know, this is what you signed up to do. You do your whole career. Obviously, I made it. But there's definitely trade-offs. You, Terminal 04, you got out a 20-year mark, relatively on the young side still, as far as uh, runway for whatever job that you decided to, to go after. And you as we discussed, you had a lot of litigation experience on the JAG Corps side, which has benefited you. It's kind of interesting sitting at the 30-year mark, especially Navy, where we don't do contracts of now competing for jobs because a lot of these things, they, they'll never say we're looking at your age, but your age is in there. And this journalist stuff doing it for 30 years sometimes can be a drawback as compared to focusing on something that you ended up doing, which harmed you on the active duty side, but has benefited you, uh, as I always call it, in the afterlife. Absolutely. But I'll tell you that network, and I've got friends that stayed longer, and that JAG network, I, I can't tell you how much some people under undervalue that, and they, they shouldn't. They should realize, I mean, I have a lot of friends that went otherwise, and they, they contacted JAGs. You know, reach out to JAGs that you know, or people you know know, and, and they will realize it. Uh, one of the things I did when I was at the attorney general's office, I was uh, actually going over to Jacksonville to try a federal civil trial. And I went over there and lo and behold, they decided to hold the trial the day after the Super Bowl. We started with jury selection and trial. So I had to go over there on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, a guy I worked with in the JAG Corps that was still in, a lieutenant, he was having a Super Bowl party. So I dropped by and, you know, that that's kind of my litigation. Hey, if you, if I didn't know it, the Sunday before trial, I wasn't going to know it. So I'm like, it's time to relax. So I went over to his place and he had said he was thinking about getting out. Well, I had it. I had a job opening coming available. And I said, have you ever thought of working for the Florida attorney general's office? And he said, no, but I said, well, I've got an, I've got a job. You need to apply. And he did. And I mean, I interviewed him and, and treated him like any other candidate. I didn't give special preference, so to speak. But then when I interviewed him and he talks about his experiences, I knew exactly what that meant. And I did ultimately hire him and he's still at the attorney general's office. And, and, and I actually listened to an oral argument that he gave with the criminal appeals division at the district court of appeal when he was defending the judge in the trial below, which happened to be me. So, you know, it's, it's the small world. Uh, he was defending my rulings uh, at the district court of appeal. So, you know, it was that JAG network that I, I kind of paid it forward to those that, you know, did it because I understood what it took. And I think that's that's an important thing for those JAGs getting out. Look to your JAG networks. I mean, one of the one of the jobs I interviewed for and kind of my champion, I think that got me the interview and, and I actually got a, a follow up interview, uh, but turned down the follow up interview because I accepted the other job was as an inspector general for the Florida Department of Corrections. 
And the, my champion, I, I, I realized very quickly because he was the one that told me I hadn't gotten the interview and, and actually called me for the callback interview was a inspector general for another agency that had been a retired Air Force judge advocate that had served for 30 years. And he recognized the strength of the judge advocate general corps. And uh, I, ha I have no doubt when he saw my resume, he's the one that said, we should give this guy an interview. I was going to tell you in 1995, the, the day after the Super Bowl, because I went to a Super Bowl party, I embarked in USS Bergall and spent a week underneath the uh, uh, underneath the waves on the Atlantic. So I've, I've had a couple of sub rides in my career. But Lee, it looks like you're, you know, just observing your body language here from via Zoom. It looks like you are enjoying what you're doing. And I think that is something that everybody aspires to find when they leave the service. Absolutely. But I'll tell you, it doesn't necessarily come with that first job. I mean, I'm glad I got that first job. But I would tell you, I was looking... Even as I got towards about a year and a half out or so, I was looking for something else. And I've heard that from a lot of retirees and a lot of people just in general is a lot of times the first job you land in when you leave the JAG Corps or, or leave the service is not the one you ultimately stay in. But you know what? It, it, you get that job and then it's it's easier to find a job when you have a job. And then you can understand and you get those those connections in whatever community you're in. And so I did find, I think, what is my dream job? That was the only job in the Navy I was sad I didn't get is I would have loved to have been a military judge. That didn't work out, but I got to be a judge in the civilian world. And, uh, you know, hopefully as long as the people will have me, I can continue to serve because, you know, I, I, I love it. I, I have found the job that I want to do. And, and, and I thank the JAG Corps for that. If it... If it weren't for the JAG Corps, I don't think I'd be in this job today. Well, Lee, our paths never crossed on active duty, but I'm glad that they crossed here via the Facebook page. So I, I appreciate you making the time to talk to us about your experience. Well, I appreciate you having me, uh, Tom, and I, I hope I could have helped somebody out there because, uh, I mean, what you're doing is fantastic. I mean, it's it, it, it's scary when we leave active duty, but uh, it, it's such an amazing job to have done, whether it was for four years or for 30 years, you know, it's a, it's a community of people and, and, and we need to remember that and remember that as we go out there, because uh, each and every one of us ends up somewhere doing good things and, uh, you know, being on the lookout for those other judge advocates that are, that are coming behind us, because, uh, you know, I, I think it's just a, it's a wonderful job, wonderful career, and it's a it's a wonderful group of people. And and you know each of us have that that common sense of purpose and community. And and so I, I thank you for bringing us all together, Tom. And I, I wish you well uh, in your retirement. Uh, I, I enjoy it. I will, Lee. Ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable J. Lee Marsh, Circuit Judge of Second Judicial Circuit of Florida. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the JAG Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.